So um, April 25 was the second year anniversary of the death of my mom. And any of us who've lost children or grandparents or cousins, or aunties, anyone who's experienced that sense of loss, this whole story takes on a different meaning, I think. Uh, the death and resurrection story, the sense of both this yearned for hope, this sense that we will see our beloved again. You know, that's, that's at, the, at the core of our faith. But also, I think, more and more, at least for me, the ongoing sense that, that my mom is rising in me all the time. Like, the resurrection isn't out there. You know, she's, she's rising up in me all the time, um, in memory and wrapping her heart around my heart and giving me signs and wonders. And does anybody know what I mean? Can you relate to that? Yeah, that's good. I'm so glad. But when she transitioned um, after a really stubborn battle with lung cancer, and you middle family walked with me through that, she had celebrated her 80th birthday. She celebrated 60 years with my dad. Um, she could hardly talk because she was all, you know, phlegmy and, uh, and sick, but she could still communicate to us. So um, for a little while, she'd still sing the Lord's Prayer, her favorite, in this kind of reedy soprano um, with the, just the right amount of vibrato. Um, she would also sing a really silly song, We Are Fighters, bump, ba -dump, bump, 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 Can't blame it on chemo brain. She just was funny. And she would sing that, and she'd say then, and we are fighters, Jack. She'd say, we've always been fighters. Our family's always been fighters. So keep fighting for justice, she'd say. And she'd say, keep saving souls for the Lord. That's what mothers tell you when you're a pastor. Keep saving souls for the Lord. Um, she uh, was hilarious. I think, I think I'm a little funny. Maybe I got that from her. But if I wanted to make her laugh, all I had to do was say, guess what? in this little gallop, and she would crack up. And then she'd say, girl, you're so silly. You're so crazy. And then she'd say, you're never going to get old. And then I was like, that's right, Mama. I really love you. really love you. Um, but the thing that really sticks with me, the words that really stick with me, are how many different times and ways and how many different cadences she said, I love you. I love you, Jackie. I love you, Jack the Beanstalk. I love you so much. I love you so much. And all the different I loves you seemed like they were having like, oh, this one means I'm sorry. Okay. Or this one means never stop being you. Or this one means don't let there be any glass ceilings. You know, and this one means I'll always be with you. Like all of these different I love yous, right? And I just stored them up. I stored them up. I just stored them up. I'll be with you always. When our beloved dies, those last words, the things that they say to us at the end are so precious, right? A desperate apology. The paperwork is in the safe. I'm really scared. Girl, don't let nobody cremate me. That was my mother. <laughs> or don't, don't come over here. I just passed some gas. That was her too. Jesus' last words. Right? Must have been so precious to his friends, to his beloved, to all those Marys, all those women named Mary. Daddy, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I'm so thirsty. Mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. 
making family on his way out the door. Why have you forsaken me? My God, I'm putting my spirit in your hands. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Done. Over. Words of forgiveness, words forgiving murderers and betrayers, making family and new relationships, life-giving words, even as he died. And how could they ever forget them? So before it was a thing called a Bible, before it was a canon, they were telling the stories. Remember? Remember when he sat at table and broke bread? Remember what he said? Remember he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my lifeblood given for you. Remember all the things he said. And of course, you know, maybe it's because I'm a woman, but I'm not surprised it was the women who stuck around in that culture, in that time. They would have been more vulnerable. They would have stayed. They did stay. And they were the first ones to tell these words, to tell these stories about how at the crack of dawn on Sunday, they came to prepare the body and there was no body to prepare and how they were mystified and wondered, is this what he meant? Is this what he meant? Is this, is this really what it is? Is this how it is? And how they went to tell the news to the others and how the others didn't believe them. Peter being Peter runs to the tomb. All of these words, all of these words, these dying words of Jesus, but the words of Jesus on his three-year mission when he knew he had a short life, right? All these words are words to live by. When he read the scripture in the synagogue, evoking the prophet Isaiah, hey, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've been anointed to bring good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's my mission statement and that's your mission statement. When he rebuked even his friends, dude's wrong. Don't, don't tell the children to stay away from me. I want them close by. I want the women close by. I want the tax collectors and the sinners close by. That, that time he said the words to the Syrophoenician woman, this was not a good moment, but she's looking for healing and he basically calls her a dog. A dog. But then she keeps talking to him because she persisted. Wink. Wink. And he changes his mind. He changes his heart. He confounds them with parables about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a place where an old woman loses a coin and celebrates. It's a place where a shepherd loses a sheep and finds it and celebrates. It's a place where a man loses a son and celebrates when he finds him. No matter what he's done, he welcomes him home. He tells them that the kingdom of God is a place where the last one hired gets paid the same as the first one hired. He tells them it's a place where a party is thrown and all the outcasts and the whatnots and the ne'er-do-wells get invited to the table and get to have the first seats. He tells them children are not property. And in fact, if you don't become like a child, you won't be able to find out what the kingdom of God is like. He tells them that the greatest commandment, because they really want to know, because we all want to know how to get it, right? The greatest commandment takes the 613 codes, laws, Jewish laws, and boils them down to two tweetable, bite-sized, Instagrammable, 
commandments. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. 6.13, down to 2, he tells them, when you see me hungry or naked or in prison and you took care of me, you took care of them, you took care of me. He tells them love is the law, love is the hermeneutic, love is the lens, love is the ethic, love makes a beloved community, love is love is the way and the truth and the life. Love is what it is all about. So he didn't say anything about murdering Jews in their synagogues. And he didn't say anything about killing Muslims in their mosques. In fact, he didn't say anything about murdering anyone, that rule-breaking, cultic barrier-breaking, reign of God-crushing son of a God. He said, don't even be angry, raising the bar on what kingdom life is like. He didn't say throw cans at gay boys until they die. He didn't say beat trans women to death. He didn't say anything about gay at all, in fact. Not a single thing about gay or non-binary gender identity. Not a thing. But he did say feed my sheep. And he did say, woe to you if you cause any of the little ones, meaning the vulnerable ones, meaning the left out lost ones, woe to you if you cause them to stumble. That's what he said. Now, you know, when people pass on, we, we romanticize them, right? I mean, I do a lot of memorials as a pastor, and people will come to my office and they'll be like, oh my God, I... You know, I didn't get to tell her I was sorry because I cussed her out last week. We were having a really hard time, you know. Or, you know, he never would ever pay his bills on time, you know. And when they get in the public space of memorializing, they'll be like, he was just lovely and butter would not melt in his mouth. And he was just the perfect angel of the Lord. But then, like, because like the memory is like shaky when you're looking backwards. So on the one hand, we, we can romanticize the people that we lose. And I think in a way, we've, we've, we've romanticized Jesus a little bit. What I mean by that is the human guy, right? The son of God, the son of humans, had a temple tantrum. And that's in there. I'm not making that up. He cursed a fig tree. Poor fig tree. What was that about? Why? 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 Did I do anything to you? I bet the fig tree was thinking, no. Um, he just, that encounter with that woman, the Syrophoenician woman, that was not his best television, Christina would say. Not a good marketing plan for Jesus. So he was not perfect. But what's happened in his death, certainly, let's say, in a movement growing of people in an opposition, right? Growing in an oppositional movement in Rome, you kind of glamorize, romanticize the one. So either he's like nammy pammy, soft, milk toast, white, with golden curls, and ne'er a you know ne'er a frown, and that peace look like a peacenik hippie, Jesus. On the one hand, right? On the other hand, another way to romanticize him is to empire him. And I don't mean like we talked before about the white baby on the Christmas card, right? We've covered that. I'm talking about 
the grown-up Jesus who can get empired by the, by the powerful, who can become the Jesus in their pockets. Are you, are you with me? Like the Jesus who no, you are supposed to go across the ocean and take the land because you're chosen. You are, you are entitled. You have manifest destiny. The doctrine of discovery says you can take it. That same empired one is on the side of men, straight men, white men, is not on the side of gays. Is not, the reason you're poor is because you're, you didn't pray well enough. Are you with me? Your territory hasn't been enlarged because you're not holy enough. That Jesus. Nammy Pammy Milktoast Jesus. Empire Jesus who's on the side of the ones who would, I don't know, put children in cages. The Franklin Grahams. Is that okay to say out loud? Y'all got very quiet. <laughs> like the ones who believe they're the gatekeepers, in other words. The ones who've decided who's in, who's out, who's Christian, who's not. Those guys. They've created a Jesus that is not Jesus after all. And so it is that on the last day of Passover, actually exactly six months after the shootings in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue, a 19-year-old that we would call a boy, except that he did this murder, picks up a rifle, a college kid, and has read all kinds of stuff on the internet and decides to go and shoot some Jews. Why? Are you ready? Because he was inspired by the Christchurch shootings. And he was inspired by the Tree of Life shootings. And this is the truth. He says he was inspired by Adolf Hitler and Jesus the Christ. Did you hear me? Hitler and Jesus inspired him to go kill some Jews. The Jewish rabbi, Jesus, inspires him to go kill some Jews. Lord, have mercy. How far have we come from the teachings of Mary's boy, Joseph's kid? How far have we come when we think that church means how many people can we put out? And how many people can we assail? How many people, because they don't believe what we believe, are somehow not God's people? I'm talking about a revisionist, oppressive religion that some would call slaveholder religion, that I would call white, heterosexist, misogynistic, supremacist, masquerading as religion, religion. Somebody say amen. And so... This is what Easter is all about. Now, of course, Easter is about the, the, the very reality that God is stronger than death, that love is stronger than death. Amen? Easter is about that. It is about God can do anything, including being stronger than death. But I think it's also about this, friends. No matter our faith, and in this room, my, I have new friends in church today. When you come to middle church, you've got Jews in the room. We've got Buddhists in the room. We've got agnostics and atheists in the room. You use in the room. We all have different kinds of ways of knowing who God is. No matter what that is, we have to admit that Jesus is a beautiful example of the divine human partnership. Amen? 
that that's a, that's a rabbi teaching love, okay? So when Jesus rises, he proves the power of the divine human connection that is available to every human being to rise up. So every time he preaches the reign of God, he's rising. Every time he touches a leper, he's rising. Are you with me? Every time he's being near and untouchable, he's rising. Putting a woman in the movement, rising. Celebrating children, rising. Healing the sick, rising. Feeding the people when they don't deserve it, he's rising. I don't believe for a minute that Jesus needed to die to save us. I don't think, I used to preach it, Jesus had to die to save us. No, bad people killed him and he died. God did not make a baby, listen to me, God did not create a baby and grow a baby to crucify the baby to save us. The baby was crucified and God saves us anyway. You with me? God saves us anyway. The, the, price, of the, the price of the salvation is the love of the God who loves us. Amen? Just the way we are? Y'all, some of y'all are going to fight with me about that later. That's cool. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Let's talk about it. Call me up. <laughs> okay? Like, like the, 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 the salvific moment is the love. The salvific moment is the rising. And the rising is ongoing. The tense of the rising is now. Because we are the rising body of Christ. Are you with me? We are the rising body of Jesus. Our exegesis, our responsibility to let any text, any text, any text that is death dealing die because they need to die. That's what needs to die so we can live. Amen? What needs to die so we can live is stale, old, musty, punitive, theological understandings that crucify people. What needs to die is text rendering and Big T tradition that just are five steps away from the death of God's people. I have new friends, Lynn and Rob. Lynn and Rob are in a movie with, with me made by a beautiful man named Dan Carslake. They're here with me today. All my new friends. Their son Ryan in this beautiful, good Christian family, loving family, amazing family of lovers of God, lovers of Christ. Ryan comes out to them at 12, and it's just like not tenable. Like, what do we do with that? We don't, that doesn't go with it. That doesn't work, right? So we pray that away. We conversion therapy that away. We, 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 with fervent love and passion, try to make that right because our God says to make that right. Our texts say to make that right. Our preacher said to make that right. Are you with me? Those people love their boy so purely, and yet he couldn't not be gay. So his poor heart, right, took in hatred from the world, guys, not from his parents, but from the world. And he ended up doing drugs, and he ended up unconscious, and he ended up, after some goodbye time with his family, dying. Do you understand what I mean by death-dealing texts? I mean, we do that. The church does that. I'm not talking about Linda. The church does that. That's not Linda and Rob. That's the church. You feel me? When the church says, you're the only way, the truth, and the life, and my Jewish friends are outside of that, 
That's two minutes away then from someone taking a gun and shooting somebody in a synagogue. Are you with me? Because why can't you shoot them? They killed Jesus. Hello? When we say the Muslims are Sharia law, blah, 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 and we don't even know what we're talking about. We don't even know what we're talking about. But when we say it, and we say it with loose lips in the name of Jesus, then the hijabi woman is in danger because we have not liberated ourselves from the text that will kill her. Come on, people. Are you with me? Middle people, I can't talk like this in every church in America. They'll put me out. <laughs> but you are, you are the revolutionary lovers. You are stretching to find the liberating word of God. You're, you're actually asking yourselves, what does love have to do with it? Because you heard. I didn't make that up. The rich young ruler says, Jesus, what am I supposed to do? He says, love, love, love. Love everybody. Everybody? Everybody. The queer one? Yes. The broken one? Yes. The ugly one? Yes. The fat one? Yes. The lying, stealing one? Yes. The, the ne'er-do-well? Yes. All of them love them. Love them like you love yourself. That is what Jesus says makes us us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's actually proof of loving God with everything we have. You follow me? We can talk all day about loving God, but if we won't care for the one in the prison, it doesn't matter. If we don't care for the one that's on the street, it doesn't matter. So this is our job. This is, this is what it means to be the Easter people, the resurrection people. Again, I don't care what the faith base is. I'm talking about the love people. The love warriors are letting go of texts of terror. We're letting go. Howard Thurman, his grandmother, poor, illiterate Florida woman, told him, he was like, Mama, how can you be a Christian? Um, they wouldn't bury his father. They wouldn't bury her husband because he hadn't been to church. Okay, just imagine. Dead body, haven't been to church. We're not going to bury you. So Howard, as a young man, wondered, Grandma, how are you a Christian? She said, because I don't read anything that's not about love. If it's not about love, I feel permission to let it go. If it's not about love, permission to rigorously exegete the heck out of that, the hell out of that, and think about what love would have us do. That's our job. This is what it means to be revolution rising. We are the resurrection. Not because we've passed through some hoop, but because we live life out loud as love. That's our job. And middle family people are counting on you. I mean, I keep thinking I'm going to show this video. I'm not. We're going to put it online. People are counting on you. They're watching you. They buy tickets to come to New York to find out how to be this intersectional space, how to be Christian and, how to be Christian and, how to be Christian and open, Christian and interfaith, Christian and LGBT friendly, and a place where everybody can sit in here and find love. They want to know how to do it. They're quoting your, your stories. They're listening to the music. They're watching to learn. They want to subscribe to Middle Church to find out how to be this new thing that God is calling us to do. I'm asking you to join me in that. Not me. I'm not the one. Bertram's not the one. I love him. He's not the one. 
He's not. He's like, I'm fine. I don't want to be the one. But you're the ones. You're the ones. This is your opportunity. Tweet the love messages. Subscribe to Middle Church. Look at the YouTube. Pick a song. Madge singing This Is Me ought to blow everybody's socks off. Put it in the world. Let people see what the love looks like. Bring your friends to church. I know it's hot in here and crowded, especially today. But, like, bring people. Bring people. Learn, share the love. Amplify the love. You are the ambassadors of love. You are the revolution rising. You are the resurrected body of Jesus Christ when you rise up in love. When you rise up in love. Not judgment, love. Not fear, love. Not no, yes, love. This is our calling. This is our mandate. This is our expectation. Because we say, we believe this crazy story. It means we have work to do. Amen. <laughs>